once you get more investors involved, you have more people uh, working with you, there's going to be an aspect of predictability that you have to have. You're listening to Go to Market Excellence, the show for strategic leaders in B2B who understand the importance of data in accelerating growth. We dissect the innovative tools and data-driven strategies that give forward-thinking leaders an edge in everything from RevOps to customer acquisition. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Go to Market Excellence. My guest today is Alex Rosenbauer. He's the senior go-to-market analyst at Pendo. And Pendo is the leading product adoption platform for tech companies. And as of late 2019, their most recent fundraising round, they were valued at $1 billion. Some people call those kind of companies unicorns. Uh, By now, in 2021, you guys are probably well on your way to being a decacorn. But anyway, Alex was previously a business analyst at Citrix. Alex, welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Thanks for having me here today, Dan. Of course, I didn't mention this in the intro, but Alex is a UNC Chapel Hill grad. But I won't hold that against you as a Duke fan myself. We'll have a good conversation anyway today. How about that? (laughs) Sounds good. So you said something to me really interesting uh, the first time we ever chatted, and that is that your role as a go-to-market analyst evolved. And as it evolved, you called yourself Switzerland between sales and marketing. What exactly did you mean by that when you say you were Switzerland? You know, here at Pendo, I was hired on several years ago as a marketing analyst, and my primary focus was support our marketing team, help them understand their demand, what was converting, all that good stuff. I found inherently that led me to doing a lot of analysis on sales activities. You know, often the folks want to understand, hey, we passed over all of these good leads and we're not seeing the yield we want out of them. So what's going on over at the sales side? The flip side, the sales team would uh, come to me and say, hey, like we're not getting this good demand that we've been promised what's going on on the marketing side. And so here I am kind of sitting in the middle and at Pendo, we've got a centralized business analytics team that sits in our general operations department. So often we get called Switzerland because, you know, I don't report into sales. I don't report into marketing. And here I am kind of on the middle ground, just trying to help them understand, you know, the full funnel, what's going on with each department, kind of leads are we getting in? What's the follow-up look like on that? Uh, so ultimately I'm kind of that neutral ground and fe- people feel confident and going to us for these types of analysis, knowing there's no sort of, you know, bias on one side or the other and how we look at the data. And of course, Switzerland hasn't been in a war in 500 years, but have you started any wars with being so data-backed? You know, always objective in what we do, but uh, often the data, you know, tells the tells the picture without there need to be additional words. So uh, I would say we often kind of serve that up and just say, hey, like, this is what we're observing. Do with this what you will. And you often kind of know the direction the conversation is going to go just based on what the data says. So I absolutely love how specific the job title is. It's not just business analyst or revenue analyst or um, just a general analyst role. It's specific to go to market. So tell me about what your week to week looks like in this role and what what are your uh, deliverables and kind of why it's so critical to the operation at Pendo. Yeah. So just looking like a typical week at, at this point, like I said, I started as a marketing analyst. So, so most of my days were spent with uh, marketing data. And as I had the ability to you know, analyze both the sales and marketing data, I, it just made sense to kind of be in this middle position and analyze the full sales cycle, the full funnel. So I was able to kind of brand myself into this go-to-market analyst role um, and, and again, support kind of the full, the full motion. So my, my typical week is meeting with a lot of stakeholders between the sales and marketing teams, you know, often beyond that, but kind of trying to help 
understand what, what does our go-to-market motion look like? What does that full funnel look like? What is our you know, kind of customer journey or our buyer's journey? What's effective? Where is there friction? All of that good stuff. And so here at Pendo, we kind of follow a, a rhythm goal-setting process. And, and how that works is you'll have kind of top-line annual initiatives set by you know, typically our, our C-suite or the executive leadership team. And then you'll look for the individual departments and teams to have goals that ladder up to those. It's kind of making sure everyone's on the same page, driving for the, you know, what's most important to the business. And so we as the data team set quarterly goals, primarily to support these annual initiatives, as well as our sales marketing time teams on the go-to-market side. So a lot of my time is spent driving those quarterly goals, whether that this quarter is getting better insights into our sales pipeline and the health of that pipeline as well as preparing ourselves for future quarters. So I'll spend a good, good amount of time there and kind of have weekly or monthly milestones to hit and attempt to reach that goal. Then on the flip side, we've got, you know, your ad hoc requests. So, hey, can you pull me this report for a meeting I have with a, you know industry vendor, Gartner or something like that in order to, you know, simply provide that data to them. And, and then you got some of the in-between, so kind of the deeper dive projects where maybe you're just hearing buzz throughout the office about a particular topic and, oh, this thing, you know, hurts the sales cycle or it doesn't help. And uh, there's a lot of anecdotes floating around. And then you as a, the data analyst or the business analyst, you know, have the opportunity to actually go into that data and prove or disprove that hypothesis. So those types of projects can take from just a week up to a month. And I often really enjoy those because you get to go really deep on a particular area and then carry that kind of subject matter expertise with you going forward, which it typically comes back around to help in a future project, whether you know it or not at the time. Sounds like you're walking single source of truth at Pendo. It sounds like you're involved in a lot of different things, but if you would break down your time between pulling data, building reports, data crunching, stuff like that, and then on the other side, maybe providing insights and things like that, how do you break down your time and where does it go amongst all those things you just mentioned? Yeah, so there's you know kind of a philosophy on how you can you can be an effective uh, data team or business analyst, and that's you can kind of be a, provide data as a product. What I mean by that is, is kind of the, the, a lot of the ad hocs, the basic reporting, simply pulling data, passing along a CSV or a Google sheet or just simply a dashboard. And that's certainly something we do. That's something every business needs. Every business wants to have, you know, an area to go to, like the single source of truth, as you said, to be able to get metrics, uh, report those metrics out, pull reports on lists of people. And so we do that. We provide that data as a product. And we certainly spend a lot of time as our business is growing the employees are growing at a faster rate than our team. So we're really striving for more of a self-service functionality through our BI tool to kind of help these folks answer these basic what questions. You know, it's it, it was fun in the beginning to answer those what questions. You get to learn about the data, but it's very reactive. It's often pretty mundane at this point. It's not all that challenging when you're pulling a report that, you know, you've done a hundred times before. So how can we make that a self-service thing through our BI tool to allow folks to kind of explore that data themselves and, and really let the BI tool be the data as a product versus, you know, us as analysts being. What's an example of like some of these reports that used to be interesting and now they're just mundane and, and you've done it a, a billion times? Yeah, you know, like lead demand reports or something for, for marketing. Hey, can we get a list of all this demand that engaged with this particular campaign and look at the follow-up on it? Something like that. So like where, where do these people sit in our funnel? And, and you know, that's interesting at first, but essentially, you know, for me, I save that SQL code or I put that in some sort of BI tool so that it can be refreshed. And then anytime I get asked about it again, I'm clicking a button, running code, passing off the report. I understand what they're probably doing with it, but I don't really get to sit down and say like, hey, how are we using this? Are we being effective? Do we have the right data in there? It's kind of just like a, hey, we just need you to give this to us and we'll do the rest. And 
like I said, at first, when you're just kind of learning your systems and where the data lives, that it's a good way to learn what we have and don't have. But once you've done that several times, you know, it just becomes a little more mundane. And at some point, it just becomes clicking a button and rerunning some code. So your role is one that not every tech company has. In fact, I think it's kind of a rare case where a company actually invests in a go-to-market analyst. So tell me, why don't you think more companies have people who fill the role that you're filling at Pendo? On the flip side of what I was saying, I guess like we we do the data as a product, and I think you can get that through a lot of different teams. Before I started, everybody was pulling reports. Everybody was trying to answer the what questions. People were just doing it in different ways. So whether it is a centralized business analytics team or it's your revenue operations team, you need to have a place to go, like you said, to get kind of a single source of truth so that you're not having 10 people pull the same report 10 different ways. And so, you know, that's primary the purpose for this. And then on the flip side, from the go-to-market aspect, like the part I love about this job is really providing the data as a service or, or being a strategic partner and just providing recommendations towards making data-driven decisions or even just being a subject matter expert. I think that's the advantage of kind of sitting in this role and, and supporting the entire business is you kind of understand how the dots connect where, you know, if you're somebody who's in engineering, you might have, have no idea what's going on over in marketing. But I've got the advantage of working with folks who support engineering. I support marketing. We kind of understand how we can do things like get insights out of the product and then use those to market towards folks. So I, I think that's the huge advantage of sitting on a centralized team is you kind of have, you know, your hand in a few different pockets and you kind of see how everything connects. Yeah. It's obviously super critical and especially for companies where you know, sales leaders and marketing leaders, especially early stage tech companies, they're often the ones that are trying to do their job, sell or create content and designs. And and yet they're often burdened with having to do a lot of the data crunching and they do it different ways, like you said. And so by bringing in a go-to-market analyst, it does centralize that. But um, you're also specifically assigned to the go-to-market team. So you're not saddled with all the other projects maybe that other people in the company would have. I'm curious, based on your experience, you know, one topic that we're super interested in scale matters and in figuring out is when is the right time for a business, specifically a tech company, to hire their first analyst and, and then subsequently build out the analyst team? So uh, let me ask you, let's say you're, a, you're advising a CEO at a 100-person, 7,500-person SaaS company. When would you tell them to hire somebody in your shoes? Yeah, I think we've actually got a great story of that here at Pendo of kind of the inception of the business analytics team through my boss. And, and Okay, let's hear it. Yeah, so he just happened to live in a neighborhood here in Raleigh that was the same as our CEO. And he worked at a different company, but he would see this fell out all the time. They, they were both big runners. They'd be running and he'd talk to him and say, hey, you know, how's the Pendo thing going? Have you thought about you know, hiring on a data scientist or having like a business analytics function. And he'd say kind of, no, you know, we don't need that. We're not at that stage. It's not a big deal. And one of the founders, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he approached him one day and just said, hey, look, Todd, like this is going to be one of these things that you might not think you need now, but it's going to pay dividends down the road. And you're going to realize that value, you know, six months or a year from now, but you're not going to be able to realize that if you don't go ahead and get them in the door now. And so we've definitely had several of those moments where I think he's recognized, hey, it's not, you know, at first, it was maybe like, what is this guy going to do? Like, what's his responsibilities? How is he going to help? And then, um, you know, all of a sudden, six months or a year later, we're in a kind of a bind where we're saying, hey, what can we do to drive some more revenue this quarter? And they're able to go to the team and say, do you all have any ideas? And, and they throw out an idea that, you know, becomes wildly successful. And, and there's direct attributable dollars to your business analytics team, which is often very difficult to do. Just recently during COVID, when we were able to really look at our, um, you know, 
our product collects data from our customers. It also allows them to collect data from their customers. So all of that is anonymized, but we uh, have the ability to kind of aggregate that and understand if we look at different industries, who's being affected most by the, by COVID. And so we were able to run those reports and see like, hey, you've got things like obviously hospitality and restaurants tanking in terms of the usage of those applications and, and how many people are using their apps. But on the flip side, you've got things like, uh, you know, I can't remember what it was at first, like logistics and shipping and things like that, that are, that are starting to go through the roof. It was even like the uh, telehealth, e-health, things like that. And so we we're able to provide that data that, that we wouldn't have been able to get without kind of a team that had access to all of, all of the different data to be able to pull it that way and, and then say, hey, from go-to-market motion, here are the industries that are that are thriving right now. Here's the areas that we can go and really, um, you know, pitch Pendo to and help them understand how we can help them continue to thrive and understand these trends that they're going through that they might not even be aware of at the moment. So it's more than just reactive report building. It's proactive identifying, sizing up opportunities using data analysis. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's what I love about Chad. Like I said, being the, the proactive stuff, the being on the front end, the strategizing and saying, hey, like, what data do we have available? What can we do with this? What what sort of hypothesis can we build? And then how can we track it and, and analyze it if we're successful in that endeavor? I, I much prefer that than the posts, whatever, after the event or after the campaign of saying, hey, pull these numbers for me. We need to see if this thing worked or not. And it's like, well, you know, if we were there in the beginning, we could have come up with a a plan and we'd know right away if it was working or not. So, Yeah, for sure. You'd put in all the measurement points to be able to see. So what? going back to my initial question, your CEO hired a business analyst before he would have probably felt comfortable doing it just because he had the relationships with the neighbor, with his neighbor, right? That was the story. When would you advise? I mean, I mean, is this a person that you'd recommend hiring in the first 50, one of your first 50, one of your first 100? Or maybe it has to do with the number of salespeople and the uh, amount of volume going through your sales motion. What are some of the dynamics that you would point to to help guide a, a CEO or maybe it's a chief revenue officer or, or um, a head of RevOps? How would you guide them in terms of the timing of the business analyst hire? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think is a lot of great questions. It's a, it's depends type scenario. You know, I think one of the ways, one of the reasons that our CEO is able to push off that particular hire is the growth was crazy. You know, early on, um, you know, growth through the roof. There wasn't really a need to understand what's going on. There wasn't a need to be super predictable because everything was just up and to the right. Um, I think at some point, once you get more investors involved, you have more people uh, working with you, there's going to be an aspect of predictability that you have to have. And, and you know, there are potential of getting that through maybe a tool or through your revenue operations team, but having a dedicated team that's going to let you be predictable as a business, especially when you're trying to go public, that's a requirement. You know, if people aren't going to invest in, you, invest in your company, if it's unpredictable, and I think um, you can only grow at crazy rates for so long, at some point there's going to be diminishing returns. And so being able to get predictable, I think makes people a little bit more comfortable with the type of business you run. And in order to do that, you really got to have, you know, business analytics team function or somebody owning that kind of as their job. So as a company goes from, you know, they establish product market fit and then they advance from that to um, getting a little bit of early wins and sales and then they start scaling sales and marketing. It sounds like it's somewhere between the part where they're trying to gain scalability and predictability that it's the right time to hire a business analyst. But again, as you said, it depends. Uh, anything else that you would factor into the decision of the timing of the hire? such as, for instance, the amount of volume that's going through? 
I think as more employees were, were being added, it was more people running their own reports. I mean, I remember hearing the stories about when I first started and prior to that, when he was there of, I mean, just to answer the question of how much revenue do we sell in, in a quarter, you get se- seven different answers. And you think that's something you need to have down pretty tight, but like without a process, without operations in place of how you're going to do that and a plan and a strategy on how to do some basic reporting, like how much you know, revenue did you earn in a given period, it is really easy to pull seven different answers. And I'm sure all those answers are right using their own set of logic, but like having somebody to own the you know, own the definitions and the agreed upon business definitions of how we will measure these things, that's critical. And so whether that's through your revenue operations function or through like a data analyst or business analytics team, I mean, that's something you got to have. You mentioned a bunch of different people getting a bunch of different answers. Obviously, you guys are somewhere around 700 employees, probably a couple hundred, two or 300 on the go-to-market side in sales and marketing. How do you guys enforce processes and kind of data governance stuff in such a high growth, fast paced environment where you're constantly bringing people on. There's maybe some employee turnover and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I really think it's from having a close relationship with our operations team. So, so with our finance team to make sure we are on the same page with how they are reporting our books. You know, we obviously, every business gets audited. What you're telling uh, those auditors, what you're selling is what you want to be reporting internally as well. And so um, syncing up with the finance team to make sure, hey, we understand the definitions of how to determine dollars sold and and during what period and how we'll report those things. And then working closely with our uh, revenue operations team to make sure like our CRM is, is reporting these things, is reflecting these things accurately. We we know how the dollars get in there. We know how the formulas work behind the scenes and those definitions match up between our finance team, between our sales team, and between what we as the business analytics team are reporting through our BI tools. So I mean, it is really those those close relationships, uh, particularly with operations teams that have, um, I think, made it successful there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What you're describing is what we refer to as a data model. What are, you know, agreeing on shared definitions of, you know, what you're going to calculate, what you're going to measure, and then um, not only agreeing on the definitions, but then setting up your technology to properly capture all those fields so you can measure at a granular level. Was that something that you guys, that you were in charge of doing on the go-to-market side? Was it a shared uh, project of, of like building the data model, agreeing on the definitions, agreeing on the architecture of the technology to be able to capture and, and, um, and then visualize it all? Tell me about the process you guys went about to, uh, to do, build the data model. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly one of the biggest challenges with being a fast-paced or growth, high-growth startup type company is um, you don't always have the time to put the operations in place. You don't always have the time to make the first decision, the scalable decision. So um, I think one of the biggest advantages to having a business analytics team that that works in the database, collects data, can write things like SQL is you can actually do this business logic outside of your CRMs. Now, that's both good and bad. There are pros and cons to that. The pro is it's extremely agile. You can make these changes on the fly. Uh, you know, what somebody speaks in English is usually pretty easy to translate into something like SQL code or Python code to say, here's our business definition. You don't have to worry about like a process or, or being in production in your CRM and potentially messing something up. You can do all that outside. Now on the flip side, now you've got a CRM that's reporting different things. So, you know, you're doing all this business logic outside of the tool that a lot of your go-to-market teams are in on a day-to-day. And, you know, that can create some issues with trust, with understanding, all that good stuff. So, I would say for the most part, again, it goes back to that having that close relationship with the RevOps team and saying, hey, we've got this new product line. This is how we think we're going to measure it. And then saying, okay, why don't you all do that kind of business definitions outside of the system? Let's test it. Let's see if it makes sense. Let's get feedback from the stakeholders. 
and once we're all in agreement on the way it works, let's uh, you know let's build it to scale. Let's put it inside the CRM. Let's do all the business logic there, and then you can just read these fields directly versus having to you know write additional logic outside of the systems when we do reporting. You mentioned that you guys are obviously a fast-growing company. You make changes, I'm assuming, somewhat often. What are the factors that you're considering when you guys change your data model and how it affects other things downstream? Or, or how do you risk mitigate against when you make changes to the data model, making sure it doesn't screw up all sorts of other things? Yeah, I think first and foremost, our goal is to not break anything, you know, not not to make a change that's going to break people's day-to-day operations that's going to potentially impact them on how they're able to do their job. So, you know, a lot of that is having kind of a development environment and having a production environment and doing this testing in, in our development vi- environment to say like, hey, if we are going to change the way we do this or if we're going to change the business logic, what would that look like? What would that potentially do? What are the downstream effects? And we've got several tools in place to really help us understand those things that says, hey, so we're using primarily a tool called DBT, um, I think by now DBT Labs. And so they do a great job of, of allowing you to set up tests and dependency tracking. So you understand, hey, if I make this change, I can run this test to make sure I, I'm not creating duplicates or I have the right combination or no, a number of rows of data that I would expect to have. And then also to show you, hey, here are all the downstream dependencies and to make sure you're not breaking any of those. So you can do all of that work in your your own branch. You know, we we take that approach where I can do that in kind of my own branch or development branch and get confirmation that's working the way I want, it's reporting the way I want to see it. And then I can push that into our production environment so that, you know, it will feed into our BI tools so that the rest of the analysts can can now consume it in the same way. And we've had the opportunity to kind of prepare for what that change will be and communicate that out to folks so that it's not a big surprise when they come in and, you know, a number's different or something's changed in one of their reports. So for companies that maybe aren't as mature as you guys in a data team, somebody's listening to this conversation and they're like, man, I want to go take action on this and I want to start doing more proactive planning to understand downstream effects of changing our data model, but they don't have the resources to buy DBT Labs, for instance, or another company that comes to mind, Sonar, that handles uh, Salesforce changes. These are tools that help you manage changes in your technology and your data infrastructure. So how do you Let's say someone's listening and they want to start slacking their coworker right away and say, we need to start doing this right away, but they don't have the tools that maybe you have. What are some of the things you would advise them to do? Probably the most helpful thing we've done as a team is is to set up metadata. So essentially set up data about our data. And obviously there are a lot of tools that do that, DBT being one of them. But as long as you have access to a database and can write some SQL, there's usually a way in which you can, you can, and it might be tedious, but you can do a lot of this work to say like, hey, let me know the last time this thing refreshed. Let me know how this changed day to day. And you can kind of set up some reporting, metadata reporting, if you will, about your own data infrastructure and, and changes that occur on a day to day. And we had a fellow who did that before buying DBT through a lot of Python scripts. And I'm sure it was a bit fragile. It was probably more than he wanted to manage, but it was super effective. I mean, we would get alerts each morning in our Slack. We set it up so that we you know business use Slack. Python is open source. It's, it's essentially free a lot of the ways he was using it. And so he set it up in a way that would then inform us through a Slack channel of, hey, this package failed or or something changed the way that you wouldn't expect it to in this particular data set. So yeah, I mean, just collecting that metadata and and communicating, really really having your data communicate to you and you communicate to your stakeholders of, of, hey, here's what we're implementing. Here's the potential change. You know, ideally there is no change, but I found that being proactive will will be a lot better than having to kind of cover your ass or, or be reactive. So you guys are um, obviously a, you're a unicorn 
And I think one thing that I'm dying to know is how you structure, you've, you've mentioned your ops team a lot and how your data team works with your ops team. Let's drill down into that and how you structure the teams at, at Pendo, because I think a lot of people, they're the data person or data business analysts sit in RevOps, maybe sometimes they sit in finance. How does Pendo structure your data and RevOps teams? Kind of like I said about our team before is, is we have a, a what we call a business analytics team, and that sits in our general operations department. So I uh, think legal, IT, maybe even finance people, like, you know, kind of, kind of supporting the rest of the business. You know, when we think about our customers, our customers are employees. So we sit centralized like that. We, we do have operations teams that sit within the different departments. So for instance, our revenue operations is the largest one, and that, that does ladder up to our sales department. We've got a marketing operations team that obviously ladders up to marketing, product operations, so on and so forth. So, you know, it doesn't, it means we're not in team meetings together each week. So we do have to be proactive and we do have to be intentional in setting up meetings and just being on the same page and communicating. So, you know, with our RevOps team in particular, we do biweekly syncs. I do it with a, a single individual. Um, I know other folks on my team do it with different individuals just to kind of make sure we understand like what changes is going on. What are people asking of you? A lot of times we're getting similar asks. You know, whether it's around, hey, we've got this new product and market and we want to be able to report on it. You know, often people go wherever they can get an answer to get that answer. And so a lot of the times the questions we're getting asked, if it doesn't rely on the work that our revenue operations team is doing, they've been asked the same question. And so obviously we want to be speaking the same language, using the same set of logic business definitions. So being in tune with them is, is super important to make sure we have that, you know, congruency and consistency in how we're reporting our business and how we're doing our reporting. What kind of questions are you referring to? You got any examples? Yeah, I mean, that kind of just what I mentioned, the, the most recent one has probably been just some additional products and, and that we've been trying to put into market and the way we report those. So in terms of our pipeline and how much of that was sold, you know, we obviously have a good market motion for them. We don't have the operations fully built out to say like, here's exactly how much of this is, uh, you know, in pipeline or, or potential to sell, or here's how many leads we have for this specific product. So just because we don't have that built out doesn't mean we want we don't want to hold people back from getting sort of insights and being getting sort of some directionality. I mean, that's a big thing about working in a startup is we're not working in um, you know clinical and lab where lives are at stake. So we can have a little bit of error. We can be 90, 95% right. As long as we can help provide that directionality and, and glean some insights, it's, it's better than nothing often. So, you know, one of the products we offer is a feedback or a voice of customer solution where you're probably familiar with this. Yeah, you can go in and kind of uh, you know, request features or understand like a, a road mapping and all that good stuff for a particular tool or system. And so, um, you know, it's something we sell. And we want better insights into that. You know, what kind of demand do we have for that particular product? How do we separate that from our other products? And so we don't have a robust operation set up around this particular product. We do have ways and we do have proxies that we can get a good idea of, of how that's trending and start to glean some insights in, into those things. And so working closely with our revenue operations team to say, hey, like, this is how I'm thinking we could define these things and do this in the meantime. And them saying, yeah, I think that makes sense. Like, let me know what that looks like. Coming back, kind of figuring it out, making sure it matches up with maybe what a rep is seeing or, or uh, someone in marketing is seeing. And then if we're all in agreement, you know, then it's about kind of putting that into the system and saying, okay, here's going to be the way we define these things. And then here's what it should look like. Here's where it should live. So those are, that's just a recent example of one of those conversations and that collaboration. You mentioned that people sometimes go to RevOps for questions, sometimes come to you guys. I guess tangibly on a day-to-day -day basis, where does RevOps start in your 
go-to-market data team begin? And so just as an example, let's say your sales, one of your sales leaders, sales managers has a question about the performance of the reps that report to him, or maybe they're in a certain region or something like that. And they want to know performance over the last two quarters. Is that something that they go to RevOps and ask for a Salesforce report? Is that something they go to the data team and, and they want access to a custom report that you're going to run some custom queries on? Or is that something completely available in the BI tool? And and just for that example alone, like where does RevOps stop and where do you, you guys begin in, in the data team? It's a great question. And I'd be lying if I said we had that completely figured out. You know, I think that's something we, again, just working closely with that team and being in constant communication to understand what asks are they getting. But you kind of make that decision together of, hey, you know, a lot of folks are asking about this new product pipeline reporting. Is that something that we want to have live in the system? Is that something that we want to be outside of the system? Getting agreement there and then just being consistent in that solution. So we use Salesforce. That's our primary CRM for our sales team. There's The thing I hate the most about our job is we don't integrate very well into Salesforce. We have another BI tool that sits outside of Salesforce, and that just disrupts the flow of a sales rep or of a manager. If you're going to be in the CRM, the last thing we want you to do is have to leave your daily workflow to, to leave the CRM, go to somewhere else to get data, and then go back into the CRM. Like In an ideal scenario, everything is right there in front of you. It's part of your daily workflow. You don't have to leave the product that you're in and go back to it. But that's the case. And, and really the biggest advantage is, I mean, Salesforce is great, does great basic kind of answering those what questions. It doesn't do so good at diving into the why and, and the predictability and, and the what will happen type questions. And that's what we take advantage of our, our BI tool for is to be able to do things like comparative analysis, saying at this point with this many business days elapsed last quarter, where were we? That's not something you're going to get in a CRM out of the box, typically. So doing things like uh, utilizing our data sciences, data science teams, models, um, that's just not something that's going to be in Salesforce. So we're really looking to complement the CRM and say, hey, look, like that's your day-to-day. If you want to go to get w- what you've sold today, get your answer your what question, that's a great tool for it. If you want to get some deeper insights into like, how does that what stack up to a different period? How does it stack up to your peers? Trending. Yeah, trending. How does that how does that compare against what we're predicting? That's where the BI tool is going to be most valuable for you. Makes a ton of sense. What other areas do you think where you know companies buy these Salesforce CRM, other CRMs, other marketing automation platforms? They all have a built-in data model. They all have, for instance, I think of HubSpot. For instance, I don't know if you've worked in HubSpot, but they have these lifecycle stages, and which is core to their data model, where people come in and they're like a subscriber and then a lead and then a marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead, opportunity, customer evangelist, and on and on. That's like core to their data model and, and how they advise people to work in a system. But it doesn't work for every company. And a lot of companies use different ling- lingo. What other areas do you think the the built-in data models of these CRMs come with out of the box? Where do, where do they fall flat in your opinion? I actually think you touched on it really well there is it's the customization of it. You know, if, you know, in your HubSpot example, if your business, maybe it doesn't make sense to have, I don't know, a sales qualified lead, marketing qualified lead, maybe it's a different lingua, maybe it's a different funnel stage entirely. I think that's where the benefit of having a centralized database where you can pull data out of all the, the source systems. And you can obviously just pass it right through and into a BI tool and keep the same naming conventions or use exactly the setup out of the box. But if you want to change those naming conventions, you know, if there's an issue with it, if, if a name is perceived negatively and you need to change that or you want to just change the motion of it, it's very hard to do in a system that, that's built on 
using that nomenclature and building that out of the box, whereas we have that kind of ability to be flexible and say, hey, okay, let's change that name or let's change the way the stage is defined. I think it really comes down to those business definitions. And when those change, having a team and a structure that's in place to kind of change agilely with those business decision changes is very advantageous kind of to be done outside of those tools. So you guys determine what your definitions are and what your measurement points are, and then you go and see, does the system set up natively to do that? Or do we need to build in some custom workflows or custom fields and things like that? And, and then so you then you put your data model kind of into the systems, essentially. Exactly. Yes. I know you mentioned to me the first time we talked that you're excited to build out your team, the go-to-market team, a go-to-market analyst team. How's that going? And where, and where do you see the team going as you guys continue to grow and your needs evolve from just Alex to more folks? Yeah, I mean, the timing of that's great. We had two fellows start this week, actually. So it, it's very relevant. Congrats. Thank you. That's actually where a lot of my time is going now is obviously the helping onboard and get these folks ramped up to speed. And Where do you find people who are qualified for a go-to-market analyst position, by the way? To be frank, it's not something you can just pop in and get like a thousand hits for. So it really, for us, it's about finding folks that one will fit kind of culturally, will we'll mesh with the team, easy to work with, get, are eager to learn and grow. And you can teach someone things about your business. You can teach them business knowledge. You can teach folks technical skills. Like you can't teach someone how to, you know, be a good human being or be a good teammate. You know, that's 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 primarily what we're looking for is someone who you know, has some of the technical skills needed, has an understanding of SaaS business and what it means to kind of go to market as a SaaS product. But really, that's going to be easy to, to teach and is eager to learn and grow. And, and, and from there, you know, the rant might be a little bit longer, but it's just a much easier relationship and a more pleasurable work experience overall. You mentioned the previous understanding how the SaaS business works. How did you drill into that in the interview process when you were screening candidates? And, and what kind of what were you looking for uh, in terms of their understanding of the go-to-market motion and where were you like, ah, it's okay if they don't get that because we can train them. What are, what are the line, What's the line there? Yeah, you know, the, the lingo and the jargon, not as important. I mean, when you support the sales marketing, marketing in particular, there's acronyms for acronyms, you know? And so if you understand exactly what every one of those are and how it ties in, not a huge deal, not a deal breaker, but just understanding that there is like a sales cycle, there's a buyer's journey, and there are multiple touch points along the way that are important to understand and kind of how to break those apart and understand uh, if there's friction, how would I investigate that? Who would I get involved? How would I present that information? You know, what stones would I uncover? Just making sure that people are, are, their critical thinking skills are there when it comes to these things. Like, like I said, you don't have to know the difference between a, a sales qualified lead and a marketing qualified lead, but you need to know like that there are important steps along the way. And that when somebody's asking you to do an analysis of them, like here are the ways that you would approach that. So we're really just looking for that kind of like general understanding of a selling motion as it comes to a b2b SaaS company yeah okay that makes sense but getting back i interrupted you and you were saying you hired these people and how do you see the team evolving back to that going back to what i said about the, the kind of the data as a product and data as a service that that's kind of how i see the team set up at the moment is, is we've got more junior level folks that are challenged by doing some maybe more basic reporting or something that maybe a senior level or lead level analyst would not particularly enjoy. And that's great. I mean, I, I remember enjoying those things a lot when I first started. It's it's cool. It's cool to knock out a quick win, you know, maybe something that takes you just a day or an hour or a couple of days and you get the report together and, and the person's super grateful for it. I, I love those little wins. So really having a way that we can provide that data as a product and, and keep up with kind of the 
the ad hoc needs of the business that say like, hey, you know, this is when I need to do my job. Shouldn't take weeks, shouldn't take months, should take hours, days. And then having folks that are excited by those opportunities and, and can master that capability. And then on the flip side, hiring more senior level folks to act more kind of the data as a service or, or acting as a strategic partner. So obviously getting an understanding of the data, the infrastructure, being able to provide the basic reporting, but also being able to be a part of those conversations like we were talking about proactively. So when we're thinking about making a change as a business, we can have someone from the team plugged in to say, well, hey, have you thought about this? Like, have you looked at this data yet to inform this decision? Have you thought about how you're going to measure the outcome of this decision? You know, it's questions you think everyone should be asking themselves, but often if you're not in the meeting, it's it's there's a lot of excitement around the new shiny object or, or the new idea. And we're just going to go, go, go and do it. And then after the fact, it's, oh, how did this thing perform? Was it, you know, did it do well? Was it a good investment? And those are ideally questions that we should be asking up front and, and having someone from our team plugged in to kind of make sure we're thinking about those as, as we make decisions that cost thousands, tens of thousands or whatnot. Yeah, for sure. What you've described over the last 30, 40 minutes is a lot of, you're involved in a lot of strategic stuff. And if you think about, you know, your data model and the outcome of what you guys do, it has a huge impact on uh, strategic priorities. It impacts where budgets go. It impacts where people are hired into departments that get more people, strategies that get more money. You guys are at the core of the decision-making for Pendo. So who represents the team when it comes to like executive meetings? Uh, is there somebody who represents, or, or do you, in the director or executive level meetings, are you involved in that those discussions? And um, yeah, I guess that that's kind of my last question because I'm super curious because so many of the ideas and, and changes come from those meetings, those board meetings or those executive syncs. And and so I'm, I, I want to know like how, how you guys relate and are involved in those. Yeah, we're really fortunate, Pendo, to, to have a fairly flat organizational structure. So, you know, I started, I was hired number two on the team. So it wasn't like we had a whole, you know, if there are different meetings, you only had a couple of folks to pick from. So I got that opportunity at an early stage to sit in on executive level meetings or director level meetings and kind of build that trust. Now we have a VP of business analytics. So our VP obviously is in most of these exec meetings and, and getting kind of the details across the business into what the business is thinking about, what the execs are talking about. And he passes that information top down to us so that when we're doing our day-to-day, -day, we can kind of keep that in mind. And, and maybe somebody asks us a question and we're thinking, oh, that's probably in relation to you know, that topic he mentioned. But also he's been super empowering to allow us to kind of represent ourselves in those types of meetings. So for instance, when it comes to doing things like reporting our kind of end of quarter analysis and, and a look back at what happened, I've always been able to be involved in that. I mean, that is our essentially 10 of our most senior folks in the business just looking for us to tell them what insights we've noticed about the last quarter, where we performed well, where we were ahead of the plan, where we were behind on our predictions and all that good stuff. And, you know, I've asked for a seat at that table and said, hey, can I take this particular portion of that presentation and run with it each quarter? And he said, absolutely. So you know, that's something I get to go in. I'm not running the whole presentation, but I've got my three or four slides that I get to really own, speak to confidently and get kind of that face time with our executive leadership team and build some of the confidence from them enough so that they'll ask me follow-up questions after the fact or, or ping me and say, hey, that was really great. Have you looked at this or, or can you look at that for my team or something like that? So we do have a representative at, at the highest level. We've got a VP. I've actually even got a director now that sits above me but they're both really great about giving us the opportunity as analysts and senior analysts to kind of present the work that we've done 
to those folks versus just passing it up to them and letting them do that. That's awesome. Sounds like you guys have an awesome culture and you're doing great work, super critical work, and they are super lucky to have you, Alex, and uh, your whole team. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us on go-to-market excellence today. And I, and I know that anyone who listens to this is going to get a ton of value, especially you know, you're speaking from a company who's actually built it and done it the right way. So there's tons that we can all learn, those of us who are at companies not quite at the scale of Pendo. So really appreciate your time, Alex. Continued success at Pendo and we'll catch up soon down the road, okay? No, all right. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, I, I love this topic. I'm very passionate, as you can tell. I'm sure I've spoken a thousand words a minute since I've been on here, but I think what y'all are doing is great. Uh, big fan of the podcast and, and can't wait to listen to this when it comes out. Thank you, sir. Coming out soon. At Scale Matters, we believe people make better decisions with better information not blindly following their gut. That's why we started this podcast. And that's why we offer go-to market analytics that provide high quality data and unbiased insights that strategic B2B revenue leaders can use to make their best decisions. If you want to check it out, go to www.scalematters.com. You've been listening to Go to Market Excellence. If you find what you've just heard valuable, then be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Until next time, stay excellent. Stay excellent.